0: Uh, it's all just been so uh, complex, you know. You know, the, the trying and the, the not succeeding. I guess you call it failing. It's not what her, her husband calls it, but she can see it written all over his face when, well, another month passes. He's a rock. He, he really is. But after the days turn into weeks, and the weeks turn into months, and the months turn into years, how, how do you, you keep the encouragement up? And the tenderness, as tender as it is, it feels callous. She's sure that he carries a bitterness, too an anger, a resentment toward God. She sure does. Every try is layered with a pressure, an expectation, a shimmer of hope in there, maybe somewhere, but fading, fading like the sun setting across the hill country of Zorah. They tried garlic and mandrakes, <laughs> Some even said fumigation of the womb with smoke might work. All the 11th century BC methods to sprout new life in this barren womb. The result was always the same. It always ended in heartbreak. No matter the complexity of the method or the remedy, the result was always the same. It always ended in heartbreak. She's worn out from sobbing, from soaking her mattress with tears. Uh, But we just did a baby dedication, (laughs) and it's Mother's Day. Yeah, it's complex, you know? It's complex, this life that we live, this world that we live in. And the tricky thing about complexity is that our lives and the world that we live in, it can become so complex that we almost get swallowed up in the complexity of it all. Like nothing begins to make sense anymore. Or maybe the world has always just been complex at a cellular or biological level, not to mention a philosophical or or spiritual level as well. Maybe the world has always been complex with the unique beauty and creativity and diversity of an intelligent designer. Like, wow, fingerprints or, or weather patterns or how about like the platypus? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like this egg laying mammal whose DNA is a cobbled together collection of birds and reptiles and mammals. Maybe the world has always been complex, but we just failed to see the simplicity in it. Maybe it's busyness or distraction or laziness or stress. Maybe the error is not with complexity in itself, but it's with our inability to see the simplicity within the complex nature of things. Like the other day, I'm uh, doing some research, distracted as I'm researching STEM toys. You know what that is, right? Like science, technology, uh, engineering, and, and math. I'm researching STEM toys, and all the while, Zeke on the left, is playing with a collection of earthen minerals. We'll just call it dirt. And he's playing with a dump truck that's being covered by an oxidation reaction. We'll just call it rust. And I'm failing to see the simplicity within the complex nature of things. He's creating. He's learning. He's growing. Who cares about STEM toys? Easy, teachers, chill out. And here's Etta, who never, never misses a meal. And she's clasping in her hand a spent paintbrush, and in the other, a junk mail real estate flyer, and her shirt's off because, well, her brother took his off. And that's that's perception, imitation, social behavior. (laughs) But maybe I'm failing just to see the simplicity within the complexity of it all. That it's just her love. And friendship and joy. That is until he puts mud in her hair and she bites him. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that maybe, maybe we miss the complex because we fail to see the simple. Maybe we miss the complex because we fail to see the simple, the simple that builds the complex. And in a world where things build upon other things like Legos or seven layer bean dip, when you miss one step because of distraction or confusion or worry or laziness or stress or whatever, that's where I think frustration with complexity flares up. It could be Algebra 2, or IKEA, or lasagna. But when that frustration sets in, I have to tell myself, well, it's, it's not rocket surgery after all. You can, right? You can figure almost anything out. You can find the answer anywhere. YouTube or Google, Alexa, even the Bible. And sure, you know, for some things, there just aren't, aren't easy answers. Like when my lovely wife, the other day, turns to me and asks, Did you really eat all the Fruit Loops? If that was a family-sized package. They had to bring it in on a crate. Or the other night, when lying in bed, surrounded by stuffy animals, Zeke asks me, Why do dogs have to die? There's no easy answer for that. Or when it's that second Sunday in May, and we wonder why is it that Mother's Day can be so happy and so hard at the same time? It's all just so complex. But I thank God that God, as immeasurably complex as God is, Beyond all comprehension and all knowability, he has simply chosen to make himself known to us. And so today we continue with our Elements sermon series where we're exploring the foundational elements of faith and how they bring us closer to knowing this immeasurably complex but knowable God. Today we continue with Simplicity. Simplicity. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Judges chapter 13. It's in the Old Testament. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the Journey app. If you don't have that, you can follow along on the screen. Judges chapter 13, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. It's the judges' cycle, a pattern that we see over and over again in the book of Judges. It's simple, though, really. It's a time before the kingship when Israel was banded in a loose association of tribes called the Tribal Confederacy. It's after Moses and the wandering in the desert, after Joshua and the conquest of the land. They're in the Promised Land. The people have a homeland, but they have no king. Instead, they've got Judges. Not like Judge Joe Brown or Judge Judy, but more like a a military figure, a deliverer or a rescuer, women and men that God raises up to save the Israelites from their enemies. This period of judges, though, it's marked by an unfortunate cycle where the people were faithful and there would be a period of peace. But then they would compromise and indulge in sin, often, you know, the sin of idolatry. You know, like they're obsessed with their iPhones, they're obsessed with the Internet and Netflix and Twitter and all those things, right? And then they'd be oppressed as God would send a foreign oppressor to occupy a part of the land. But then when the people finally came to their senses, and the Hebrew word is shuv, they literally turn, they make a 180, they repent and turn back to God. Then they'd be delivered as God would raise up a judge who would deliver them from their enemies. And then it's back to being faithful in a new period of peace. So when it comes to our story in Judges 13, where are we at? Where are we at in this judge's cycle? Well, we're at the sucky part. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. Well, verse 2 says this, In those days... A man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. She, she's never, she, uh, his wife, who's never named, but rabbinic tradition calls her this mouthful of a name, Hazelel Pony. She's briefly mentioned in First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 3, but never again. Well, that's who they think that she is, Manoah's wife. His wife, she was unable to, to become pregnant. And they had no children. Some translations say barren, others say infertile or unable to give birth. Pregnancy in the ancient Near East was a peculiar thing. It was often viewed like a farmer views a field, where a farmer plants a seed in a field. I'll let you do the math on that. But it was often understood that, well, like farms and stuff, some fields just don't produce a harvest. But you're smart. And you realize that this is a male-centered context, a male-centered, dominated, patriarchal society. Maybe it's not an issue with the field. Maybe it's an issue with the seed. Okay, okay. (laughs) Uh, You know, some seeds, they just don't sprout. They just don't germinate. I mean, perhaps the field is fine, but there are issues... With the seed. Well, whatever the case, they are unable to become pregnant. And so maybe it means miscarriage after miscarriage. You know, the trying and the not succeeding. The result, always the same, always ending in heartbreak. Where she's worn out from sobbing, from soaking her mattress with tears. But verse 3 continues... The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife, just like with Abraham and Isaacs on the altar, or, or with Moses and the burning bush, or with Balaam and the donkey, or, or with Gideon surrounded by enemies, or later on with Elijah and his depression, or in the New Testament with Joseph and his confusion about the paternity test. Or then later on with the apostles in jail, the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. Yeah, 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 yeah. I heard it all before. You know, happily ever after, right? Just like with old Abe and Sarah or, you know, with Rebecca and Rachel. Yeah, exactly, actually. The angel of the Lord tells her, verse four: So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink. Beer is probably a better translation. Nor eat any forbidden food. Oh, that's, I mean, it's probably pretty smart during pregnancy, anyways. Like it only took us till what, like the 1950s, to figure out with the smoking and the drinking during pregnancy. Uh, but that's what was the generation called right now? Generation X. Or baby boomers, or hey, the results, right? Never mind. Anyways, uh, but like forbidden food, like what are we talking about? Sushi, fried tarantulas—that's a delicacy in the Philippines. Or how about jellied moose nose? Sure, maybe, but I think this, like, uh, don't eat these forbidden foods, I think it's actually referring to the Levitical dietary laws. You know, no bacon, no camels, no shark, no eels, no escargot, no worms or chameleons, and definitely, 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 especially after the last two years, no bats, please. So he gives her this strange diet plan, and he tells her in verse 5a, You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. He says it again, simply repeating the possibility into the impossibility of her world. And get this, his hair must never be cut. Okay, sounds sort of random and hippie-ish. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. Well, the Hebrew word we see translated here as Nazarite is nazir, and it simply means to be separated or to be consecrated. A Nazarite is one who's especially dedicated or set apart for God's service. It's a law found early in the Old Testament in one of the first couple of books called Numbers. And it's in chapter 6, and it says three things that a Nazarite is not supposed to do. No sipping your wine with your charcuterie board, no chopping your locks, no touching a corpse. I'm good with that last one, for sure. No wine, no haircuts, no dead body stuff. Strange, right? Well, even stranger is that this Nazarite vow is taken usually by an adult, and it's only for a limited period of time. But here we see, It's at birth, and it's apparently for a lifetime. I mean, I don't think that's what we were doing with Wyatt up here. I could be wrong, but uh, that's what I thought. But I think this extra special dedication here, from the womb, I think it shows something especially special that God is about to do. Even more so, it's going to happen in a family that is marred by infertility. God is bringing possibility into the impossibility of their world. Spoiler alert, that's what God always seems to be up to, right? Verse 5b, he, their miracle baby, will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines, their oppressors. I mean, man, this is amazing to her. This is earth-shattering. This is literally unbelievable news. Future diapers to change. Think about it, scrapes and cuts to kiss and seal with a band-aid, future artwork to stick to the fridge. You know, the kind that comes home with a concerned message from the teacher, like so. When I grow up, I want to be like mommy. The mother actually uh, re- replied and wrote back, Dear Mrs. Jones, I wish to clarify that I am not, now, nor have I ever been, an exotic dancer. I work at Home Depot. And I told my daughter how hectic it was last week before the blizzard hit. I told her we sold every single shovel we had, and then I found one more in the back room, and several people started fighting over who would get it. Her picture doesn't show me dancing around a pole. It's supposed to depict me selling the last snow shovel we had at Home Depot. From now on, I'll remember to check her homework more thoroughly before she turns it in. But that's parenting, I guess. What a world awaits Hazel Pony. She simply listens to this good news simply listens and believes and it says verse 6 the woman ran and told her husband a man of God appeared to me he looked like one of God's angels terrifying to see I didn't ask where he was from and he didn't tell me his name so totally sounds legit right but he told me you will become pregnant and give birth to a son You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food, for your son will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from the moment of his birth until the day of his death. Okay, crazy. Let me get this straight. Some scary-looking dude who you don't know his name, and you don't know where he's from— He offers you this fortune cookie promise out of nowhere, and he's promising you exactly, I'm assuming, your greatest dream. Funny how she doesn't mention the whole not cutting the hair thing. But then she adds this whole, from the moment of his birth until the day of his death line. Manoah must have been like, okay, babe, honey, boo-boo bear, Pookie, whatever you call your wife, or significant other. How much money do we have to shell out? You know, and and then how many people selling under you before we actually turn a profit? Like any savvy human being might, Manoah seeks some more information. And so he simply prays. Perhaps he could have, though, consulted the BC version of Google, or you know, Facebook stalked this man of God, angel of the Lord character. But how do you how do you even search for that? Um, like scary looking dude, uh, preaches sobriety, uh, anti sushi probably, or, or maybe maybe he could have chalked up a, a Craigslist misconnections post. Remember those? You know, the place where dudes write stuff like, "I saw you at Blockbuster," "You reach for the Titanic VHS." And I surmise that you're the type of girl who would share the raft and never let go. Well, he could have said, he could have said, wife saw a weirdo looking dude with a multi-level marketing scheme. Hit me back if that's you. Well, I guess for some of you, Craigslist is just outdated. Maybe the modern version is like moms of Camarillo. Can I get an Amen. I've been like knocking at the door for years now trying to get in, but nope. Well, if he were allowed to join the 7,000 plus members of Moms of Camarillo, he could have asked, yo, ladies, wife saw crazy looking dudes selling snake oil. Anyone else get the same memo? Manoah could have asked around, but the text simply says, then Manoah prayed. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord saying, "Lord, please let the man of God come back to us again and give us more instructions about this son who is to be born." God answered Manoah's prayer. Boom. Simple. And the angel of God appeared once again to his wife as she, whoa, once again appeared to his wife as she was sitting in the field. But her husband Manoah was not with her. Ah, uh, what? He prays, God answers, and the angel messenger here goes back to the woman. Well, that's not what we were expecting, right? Uh, Totally reverses the expectations of a male-centered society. So she quickly ran and told her husband, The man who appeared to me the other day is here again. So Manoah ran back with his wife and asked, Are you the man who spoke to my wife the other day? Yes, he replied, I am. So Manoah asked him, When your words come true, whoa, when your words come true, that sounds like faith in my ears. What kind of rules should govern the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord replied, Be sure your wife follows the instructions I gave her. She must not eat grapes or raisins. Okay, didn't hear that part good to know. Don't drink wine or any other alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food. Okay, more for me. Then Manoah said to the angel Lord, please stay here until we can prepare a young goat. I like the old translations. They say kid, uh, right? We can prepare a young kid for you to eat. I will stay, the angel of the Lord replied, but I will not eat anything. However, you may prepare a burnt offering as a sacrifice to the Lord. Manoah didn't realize it was an angel of the Lord. Then Manoah asked the angel of the Lord, what is your name? For when all this comes true, whoa, when all this comes true, that sounds like faith in my ears, we want to honor you. Why do you ask my name? The angel of the Lord replied, It is too wonderful for you to understand. Then Manoah took a young goat and a grain offering and offered it on a rock as a sacrifice to the Lord. They're about to have a barbecue. And as Manoah and his wife watched, the Lord did an amazing thing. As the flames from the altar shot up toward the sky. So he got some pyrotechnics going on here. The angel of the Lord ascended in the fire. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell with their faces to the ground. The angel did not appear again to Manoah and his wife. Manoah finally realized it was the angel of the Lord. Yeah, it took you long enough. And he said to his wife, we will certainly die, for we have seen God. But his wife said, you're tripping, bro. If the Lord were going to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our burnt offering and our grain offering. He would have given us or appeared to us and told us about this wonderful thing and done these miracles. When her son was born, she named him Samson. Hmm. I heard that name before. And the Lord blessed him as he grew up. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he lived in Manehadan, which is located between the towns of Zorah and Eshterol. So let's recap. Hazel and Manoah experienced the heartbreak and inability to get pregnant, inability to bring new life into the world, to hold that tiny baby in their arms. When suddenly God brings possibility into the impossibility of their world. And what do they do? They live out a simple faith. Simple belief and trust in God. In the impossible. Not just for the sake of wishful thinking or baseless hopes, but because God said so. And all the simple faith is lived out in the environment of evil and oppression. Simple faith. It's all they have. It's what they have. And yet their story is simply just beginning. At times, it will taste literally as sweet as honey. At others, it won't make sense. Rebellion and stubbornness, when it feels like the boy is fueled not by the Spirit of the Lord, but by his own lusts and passions, Like, how do you as a mom wrap your mind around the reality that your own child has blood on his hands? That he's extinguished the lives of thousands. I mean, sure, they were evil oppressors, but still. How do you as a mom simply learn to live through this? Her son's broken marriage and then the murder of his wife and father-in-law when her son is betrayed by his own people and handed over to enemies, or when her boy is duped and imprisoned and his eyes gouged out. And then at the end, when his body is pulled out from the rubble and the wreckage wrapped in a sheet, why does it say his brothers and his father's entire household traveled down, carried him back up, and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of his father, Manoah? Was she too broken to go? Too weak? Was she dead and gone like her husband? Was her heart too broken that it finally gave out? That it was all too much? I don't know. Life always seems to get more and more complex. The simple angel of the Lord in a field and a promise and a baby in her arms, it's now gone. We don't know whatever happened to Hazelel Pony and Manoah. They fade into the background of the Samson story, overshadowed by this complex, even tragic character. Sometimes maybe that's parenting, I suppose. Even doing all the right things, Doesn't guarantee the right results or what we think we deserve. Sometimes, maybe that's parenting, I suppose. But, like, what what do you do when you have this simple faith and persistence and resolve and all the stuff that we talk about is the right stuff, the right things, and, and yet you don't have that angel of the Lord experience? You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. Like, what if Mother's Day is a stark reminder of what hasn't happened for you, what has not happened? Not my words, but hers. I can still celebrate the other mothers in my life, but when people say happy Mother's Day, when you're not, it's hard. It's like you can't escape it. Probably won't go on Instagram for a couple of days. And even with the church, it's hard. But it helps to talk to people who are in the same situation or similar situations. What I've seen, though, it doesn't stop her from being a motherly influence in the lives of the motherless. Or what if, what if Mother's Day is, is not brunch with mimosas? but rather sprawling out in the sunshine on the grass beside a a granite slab with her name and a hyphen between two dates. Not my words, but his. It's still hard, especially in the morning for a while, you know. And yeah, I've got tons of spiritual moms, those who have stepped in when my mom died. I'm super grateful for that. But I really wish my son could have met my mom. I really do. What I've seen, he doesn't stop talking about his mom or honoring her and the other mothers in his life. Or what if Mother's Day feels like a day that reminds you of the role you once wore? Until now. There's no card, no flowers, no crinkly-wrapped present. No one to call you mom. Not my words, but hers. My world ended. I never knew depression could cripple a person until she died. The very first Mother's Day came seven months after death, after her death. This day will forever be hard for me, but do this, acknowledge me acknowledge me as a mother. Honestly, I find it really comforting when someone talks about my child. I love hearing her name spoken out loud. I love hearing stories about her. Your acknowledgement alone is one of the greatest Mother's Day gifts you could ever give me. What I've seen, her bravery is unmatched and she'll always be a mom. What if Mother's Day is just another Sunday of forgetting who she was or is or what she did or didn't do? What if Mother's Day is a day of strained relationships and separation? What if it's a day spent wondering what your biological mother is or was like? What if it's a day spent grieving the choices that have kept you from becoming a mom? Sometimes life isn't simple. Sometimes it is Rocket surgery, after all. It's hard, complex, impossibly so. And try as we might, even adding up the simple things, it doesn't get us very far. There are questions that we don't have answers for. So many, it seems. But if you're here today and you have a pulse, there's something that we do have. There's something we have in abundance, and it's love. The famous poet E.E. Cummings once wrote, unless you love someone, nothing else makes sense. There's so much in our hearts today that we may never be able to say it all. And perhaps there's no words to describe the feelings and the emotions that you're going through right now. But I want to encourage you today to open up your hearts to one another, to be extra generous with your hugs. Forty-five hugs a day. Forty-five hugs a day, that's what her mom heard the hospital staff say. Forty-five hugs a day. Her 16-year-old daughter was dying after battling cancer for the last two years. Forty-five hugs a day, she told me. The hospital staff had actually said four to five hugs a day. But she heard 45, so she decided to go with 45 hugs a day. Can you imagine what our lives would look like if we set out to do that? Can you imagine what our world might look like if we were to give 45 hugs a day? In this time, on a day like today, when things might not make sense, I know that hugs and love certainly do. It's simple, I think. A simple new trajectory. It's a, a simplicity that this couple in Judges chapter 13, they display in their ordinary lives. It's not complex. The parents of Samson emerge as faithful and obedient people who desire that God, God teach us, teach us what we are to do. You know, I mean, I think most of parenting is just winging it, right? I think it is. I don't know. But I love this. Teach us what we are to do. Well, how so? How the little pony listens, she believes, she runs, she speaks and shares the good news of hope with her husband. And Manoah, what does he do? He prays. God answers, they run some more. Manoah believes, they barbecue, pyro stuff ensues and they obey and God's word, it comes to pass. And it all seems to happen in the wrong place at the wrong time, in an environment of evil and oppression. But then again, maybe it's all in the right place and at the right time. Like maybe this couple was made for a moment such as this. And maybe in your life, you're made for such a moment as this. It's easy to look back and hope for the good old days or just try and escape, like an escape hatch, eject button, get out of the situation. But maybe we were made for such a time as this. And so instead of complaining about life before COVID or when we, things were so great years ago or an old Christendom or whatever, like uh, that's gone, it's dead, it's past. And the past is amazing, we can learn so much from it. But if we're, I mean, there's a, a, a saying in, uh, in recovery where if you've got one foot in the past and one foot in the future, you're missing out on today. Maybe you were made for such a time as this. And maybe in the vast complexity of everything, there's a simplicity to it all. Isaiah 46. God speaks and says this. Even when you are old, I will take care of you. Even when you have gray hair, I will carry you with or without your L'Oreal Paris chestnut brown. You look great. I made you and I will support you. I will carry you and rescue you. And maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you need to hear that one more time. Even when you are old, I will take care of you. Even when you have gray hair, I will, or no hair, I will carry you. I made you, and I will support you. I will carry you, and rescue you. And you know, um, sometimes. This is just me. I, I cringe a little bit sometimes when people say like, oh, God told me this. God told me that. God said this. God said that. Um, and I, I cringe a little bit, not because of them. I, I always want to test and make sure like what they're saying is actually legit and true. Or I, I don't know, at least in my mind, if it's according to scripture, sometimes people are so flippant with that phrasing. Like, sidebar, uh, one guy told my wife, she's my wife now, um, Hey, God told me that, that uh, you are going to be my wife. And she's like, God didn't tell me that. God never told me that. So um, and my buddy, Bonesaw, he was just like, well, how do you know? It <laughs> still could happen, right? Um, but anyways, the point I'm trying to get to, circumventing, long, long roundabout way, is that when God speaks, galaxies are formed. Life is created, plants sprout up from the ground, mountains are shaken, empires are brought to nothing. When God speaks, it is a powerful, powerful thing. And so what I'm saying is that when God is speaking these words into our lives, it's a powerful, powerful thing, right, Jake, on electric guitar? It's a powerful, powerful thing. Even when you are old, I will take care of you. Even when you have gray hair, no hair, dyed hair, I will carry you, I made you. I will support you, I will carry you and rescue you. What might our lives and struggles look like if we approached the vast complexity of life with a simple faith, a simple faith that dares to stand firm in the face of impossibility and loss and hardship? What might our friends and family and coworkers and classmates think if we dared to live out a faith that says, you know what? Despite everything, I'm gonna trust. And I mean really trust. This God who supports and makes and carries and saves. It's simple, isn't it? Even when it's all just been so complex.